If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 136 of the Leading Learning Podcast. In this episode, we talk with Dr. Michael Allen. That's likely a name familiar to many of our listeners as Michael is the author of the widely read Michael Allen's Guide to E-Learning, and he's also the namesake of Allen Interactions, one of the oldest and most widely recognized e-learning design and development firms. But before diving into the conversation with Dr. Allen, we want to be sure to acknowledge our sponsor for the second quarter of 2018. And that sponsor is Review My LMS, a collaboration between our company, Tagoras, and 100 Reviews, the company that's behind the very successful Review My AMS site. As the name suggests, Review My LMS is a site where users can share and access reviews of learning management systems, but in this case, the focus is specifically on systems that are a good fit for learning businesses, meaning organizations that market and sell lifelong learning. Contribute a review, and you'll get access to all existing and future reviews, and there are already more than 100 on the site. And if you don't have a review to contribute, there's also a subscription option. Just go to reviewmylms.com to get all the details. For our resource for this episode, we're going to point you to the ebooks download page of the Allen Interactions website. There you'll find a wealth of free ebooks covering titles ranging from A Bite Sized Guide to Microlearning to Six Rules to Designing e learning for Maximum Motivation to Three Essential Design Elements for Creating Engaging e learning Games and many more. These are really practical guides that will help you with both your e-learning and your broader learning initiatives. So to find out how to access those, visit the show notes for this episode at leadinglearning.com slash episode 136. Now, Jeff, there are few people who have longer and deeper experience with technology-based learning than Dr. Michael Allen. I'm sure he had many interesting things to say. He did indeed. Dr. Allen has been there since the earliest days of computers playing a role in learning, so he had great stories to share as well as really useful perspectives on how things have changed over the years and how we might best focus our efforts right now. We discussed topics like uh, game-based approaches to learning, but also uh, the design of learning in general. And in fact, I think one of the most valuable parts of the discussion is when Michael discusses the four components of any effective learning experience. And listeners will definitely want to pay attention and take notes on that. The last thing I'll mention before we go to the interview is, is that Michael is he's just a pleasure to talk to. You get the sense of somebody who truly loves what he does, enjoys talking about it, and wants to help others with his knowledge. I really enjoyed the conversation. Well, I look forward to hearing that conversation, so let's roll the interview with Dr. Michael Allen. Hey there, this is Jeff Cobb with the Leading Learning Podcast, and I am really thrilled to be joined today by Dr. Michael Allen. Michael Allen is the founder and CEO of Allen Interactions, and he's been a pioneer in the e-learning industry since 1975. He has nearly 45 years of professional, academic, and corporate experience in teaching, developing, and marketing interactive learning and performance support systems, and he's the author of nine books, including the widely read Michael Allen's Guide to E-Learning, which is now in its second edition. And I could go on and on with accolades and honors and degrees that Michael Allen has earned, but I think I'll sum it up simply by saying that, like so many people, when I think of e-learning, I think of Dr. Michael Allen. So, Dr. Michael Allen, welcome to Leading Learning. 
Well, thanks, Jeff. After that, I can hardly wait to hear what I have to say. <laughs> well, I know, I know we've got audience members who are, are going to be really excited that we've got you here today. Um, you are, you know, if, if there's such a thing as a legend in the, in the world of e-learning, I think you, you probably are up there at, uh, at legendary status at this point. And, uh, oh, no. <laughs> I just don't give up, that's all. <laughs> well, there you go. And, and that's, that's actually kind of where I'd like to start with the, um, the, the questioning on this is... Uh, I mean, you, you clearly have such a passion for e-learning. I mean, you, you got into it early. You've been doing um, e-learning, and, and, and I should say learning in general, interactive learning, um, for, for a, a long time now. And, and, you, and you really seem to be almost on a mission in many ways, or I get that sense, you know, when, when I read your writing. And I, I'd love to know, I'm sure listeners would love to know, kind of what, what's driving that? And, uh, and maybe as a follow-on question, you know, how is the world going to be a better place if and I should say, when you are successful. <laughs> Thanks for the optimism. I appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, well, well uh, I, I am an educational psychologist, come from a family of teachers and, and psychologists. Um, and I, you know, people do ask me, you know, what, what was the inspiration that started you on your mission? And I, I have to say that it, it was probably poor teachers. Uh, I had I had some, you know. I had some really good ones. Um, there was one in uh, that I actually had in uh, junior high uh, that was so stern uh, that we expected at least one or two kids to be in tears before the the end of the period. Mm. Uh, was an English teacher. Um, uh, and he was fired at the <laughs> at the end of the year, but. But, uh, you know, uh, my classmates and I are online with each other using all the social technology, all these many, many years, uh, more, more than 50-year reunion has passed and everything. But uh, we all still talk about him, which is really interesting. Huh. And one of the things that's fascinating is that we probably learned more from him than anybody else uh, that we had. And uh, I, I can talk about uh, intransitive linking verbs, and I can still tell you how to diagram a sentence and, <laughs> and things that he uh, drug us through um, uh, painfully. Uh, but we we did learn a lot, and then we had some. I had some teachers that I, we all really loved, just kind, supportive people, uh, and we liked those classes because they were just a slough off. We really didn't learn, <laughs> didn't learn anything, and and a, you know, complete uh, smorgasbord of uh, of teaching experiences, and um, I uh, when I went to college entirely different fields. I was intending to be a dual major of math and music. Uh, and then I got into a psychology course and then into an education course. And I thought, oh, wow, all these things work together. And there's no reason learning can't be fun, pleasant, and effective all at the same time. You don't have, it has, it doesn't have to be one or the other. Wow. Uh, it can be everything. So that's really been my mission is to save people from bad learning experiences. And as I often put it these t days, um, time is not refundable. So if you're spending your time in a course of instruction that's not beneficial, you can't go to the front desk and say, this didn't work for me. I'd like my time back. Right, time mm. is 
gone. And so when we create learning experiences, people trust us to use their time beneficially. And that's a big responsibility, but I think that's a responsibility we as trainers and educators have to take. And so I'm, I have this mission of no boring learning experiences, you know, and I, I think people really need when they're designing and creating instruction to put themselves in the learner's shoes and think, is this something that's really beneficial? In fact, I sometimes ask audiences, how many of you would opt to take the the, the training or the education that you're developed over any other way of learning? Mm. <laughs> um, quite often, few hands go that's up. It's a very, very revealing question. Yeah, is yeah. It? <laughs> Sometimes a few hands go up, and then as we're counting, I see them kind of slink back down again <laughs> as they as they think about other ways to use that time more beneficially. So, so we need to not just be in a rut and do what we've always done, but think carefully about what would be the optimal way for a, for a learner to gain these skills and insights uh, and not waste their time. Well, I love that perspective that uh, the time is not refundable, which is just so true. And it, I mean, yeah. it, it sounds like you had the, you know, the harsh learning experiences that were effective, but they were harsh. And then you had the, you know, the pleasant learning experiences that were pleasant, but not so effective. And, and of course, your argument is they can be both. You can have fun learning and actually learn something in, in the process. That uh, is right. Well, excellent. And, and uh, I, I think uh, if, if and when you are successful, we're, as we're talking about, uh, that, that's, that's what we will see in the world is, you know, people will actually elect to take the training that they're creating. Um, and, and all of us will just have a, a whole lot more fun actually, actually learning in, in life. Because so. yeah. le- learning at, in, at its essence is rewarding. You know, so we've got this rewarding uh, uh, ingredient in what we do. It's just that we tend to uh, overshadow it with pain or boredom. <laughs> so it can't get through. Exactly. Well, and of course, that that has, I think, and in my experience at least, been a particular affliction of e-learning. And um, I, I mentioned your book in the introduction, Michael Allen's Guide to E-Learning. You know, you've been so tuned in to what's possible online for, for so long now. And, uh, I, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, from your perspective, uh, how have things changed for the better with, with e-learning? I mean, where, where have you seen some of the most important advances or, or, or at least potential advances occur over the years? Yeah, that's a really interesting question because, you know, there are usually two sides to everything. And uh, yes, I was doing some e-learning programs in the 60s, actually, the late 60s, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, a long time ago. And the technology that we had to use was uh, certainly primitive by today's standards in every way. Uh, so, you know, we had no, well, we didn't even have graphics or pictures. You know, we only had text and we only had one color of text. <laughs> and we had no animation uh-huh. and, and audio or so forth. You know, so um, we didn't have low-cost networks. Uh, so you had to distribute the the programs uh, physically somehow, and uh, things we take for granted, uh, people today can't even imagine not having. Right. 
And yet, some of the most spectacular learning programs I've ever seen were developed in those times when the the technology was so restrictive, but the instructional design was so on point that uh, even uh, when years back when we had radios that stood on the floor and took up a lot of space, uh, people wrote uh, and and produced audio programs that were suspenseful, and you we tuned into them every week, and you couldn't wait to find out what was going on next. You can really engage an audience with very little technology if you if you do things right. Mm. But we wished for all the things that we have today, yes, networking and fast processing and uh, uh, voice recognition, and it just goes on and on and on. You know, I mean, everybody takes for granted that you can integrate video now and, and, and so on. So everything we wished for uh, has become available. And yet, I think the, the general quality of e-learning programs has diminished over this time. It's not improved. We've just relied on the novelty and capabilities of the technology to carry us through. Right, yeah. Uh, yeah. It seems like technology has become kind of a crutch uh, in, in a lot of instances. It really has. It really, really has. And, in fact, in a way, uh, it's harder because the expectations have risen that you will use all this technology to to create the learning experience, and you may be judged just kind of by its covers. Mm-hmm. Is it, is it using all these uh, fancy things? Uh, but the the heart of it is always uh, the learning experience, and you know that's what I've really been focused on in recent years and was the heart of uh, the guide to e-learning, which is, you know, has a subtitle that says uh, they can be both fun and effective. Right, and, right. And, and they can be. <laughs> and so where, what's an example uh, that, that you can offer, and it may come from uh, Allen Interactions own work or from other places you've seen where, where e-learning really has like just realized its potential, just a, like a shining example in, in your mind of, uh, of great e-learning. Sure, and there are uh, there's there's a bunch of them. Uh, one of the one of the first ones that uh, uh, really bedazzled me, I think, was done at the University of Illinois uh, in the seventies uh, by uh, Professor Smith, and uh, he was a chemistry teacher uh, at the university, uh, and he created uh, a laboratory simulation where you you had to. Uh, set up all the equipment and do the experiments online, and you would see the consequences of what you did. So, so, you know, if you overheated or if you put the wrong uh, chemicals together, you know, either nothing happened or all the way up to an explosion or something. But you you were free to try everything you wanted. And that's, to me, that's one of the spectacular things about e-learning is that because we can't learn you, we can't learn a group of people, every individual has to do the learning themselves. Mm -hmm. If you can allow people to 
not only experience doing things right, but experience doing things wrong and see the consequences, you get a much deeper knowledge. And it's firsthand experience if, if, if you're selecting the chemicals, if you're measuring the chemicals, if you're putting them in the beaker and you're stirring them around or whatever you have to do, those become meaningful and memorable learning experiences. And uh, so, although that was done very early, and again today we would say it was pretty primitive, he did have some basic graphics, he did have a touch screen to work with, and so you could slide things around uh, and, and do them more naturally than typing in verbal instructions. Um, I, I think everybody who's, who's gone through uh, his, uh, uh, his material will remember it until the day they die. And uh, one of the signs to me of good design is what people do after they've gone through a, a, a course or a module instruction. Do they think, glad that? done with that. I'm glad that's know. over, yeah. <laughs> right? Or do they ask their friends to come over and try it too? You know, say, come on, you got to look at this. Or do they themselves think, I want to try it again? Uh, and there's a, another program. It was uh, uh, employee advisory resource program that was teaching managers how to use this, this corporate benefit. Uh, to help employees who who need various uh, assistance that may be very very personal but impacts their their work life, uh, and so it's done as a, a simulation where you're a manager and you have five or seven direct reports, and uh, you 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 start out by one of your people saying, uh, I I I'm late again today. Uh, I'm really sorry, and you have a set of questions to uh, select from to create a dialogue between them. Uh, and at what point uh, this employee asks, uh, you know, it would really be helpful if you could give me a wake-up call each morning, because I seem to have trouble with my alarm clock, <laughs> you know. And you as a manager could decide, uh, sure, I'll give you a phone call or, or decide, you know, this person really needs the help of the employee advisory program and send them there. Um, and so you go through a year, uh, your employees, uh, some of them uh, lose a spouse to cancer and uh, some of them uh, have uh, alcohol-related issues and, and so on. And you need to decide what you should do as the first representative of the organization that you work for uh, and or when you should uh, bring in additional help. And and, and a lot of times, intuitive responses are not the best responses. And so that's what this program teaches you, is to think through these particular criteria and decide how you should act. It's a fascinating program. Uh, and uh, what happens when people are done with that year is the telling thing, I think. And mm -hmm. that's that most people do the best they can and make mistakes through that first year. And then they go through that year again, trying to make no mistakes. And what's fun is if you head problems off early, the, the year gets easier for you because those problems don't escalate. 
Uh, and so you find out that being responsive, being on top of things early makes everybody's life better. And that's one of the lessons they want you to learn. And so then you, what hap- that one more thing. So w- then what happens after people go through it the second time and try to get a perfect score? They go through it again. I mean, many do. It's, it's like 30%. But many people go through it again, and they make every mistake they can think of because they want to see what the consequences of making uh, mistakes are. Interesting. And, so this has got to be what we should all strive for, <laughs> is a program that... People voluntarily go through repeatedly because each time they get another benefit, and they're not doing it because they have to. They're doing it because they want to. And, you know, as I'm listening to you, what you're describing sounds, I mean, really like a video game, or, or, or certainly it's a simulation, you know, but it has that kind of that game-type quality to it, particularly when you describe people, you know, going back in and wanting to do it again and get better, and then going back in and testing to see, you know, what it's like if you if you make different decisions. How, I mean, how important is that that concept of of gaming now? And then, you know, I know like there are, there are a lot of e learning tools out there that are trying to build in game elements, and I think everybody's really focused on the technology that you need to do these fancy, you know, branchings and simulations and that sort of thing. But I mean, at least in what I'm hearing from you, yes, there's definitely a technology component there. You, you have to have some tech to support it. But but most of that's just the design and, and just really thinking through the, the story and the, and the possibilities. And, and am I understanding that, that correctly? And, and, and what advice would you give to organizations and how to, to think about it and, and incorporating that sort of game mentality into how they're designing learning? There are... Uh fads in our field, like I suppose every other field, and they kind of come and go as mm-hmm. as as people start to kind of realize the truth of what they are and aren't. Uh, uh, c- certainly a game-like experience is uh, an energized experience. So I've, I've uh, even though it's popular today to talk about gamifications or s- serious learning games, which are very two very different things, uh, the, the the idea that uh, using a game-like framework keeps people engaged and keeps them on task for a longer period of time is, I think, a valid one. Mm. And um, it actually goes to what I, uh, uh, I wrote about uh, in uh, your kind mention of my guide to e-learning quite a bit, and, and especially more in the second edition, that... The fundamentals that make a good learning experience are the same fundamentals that make a good game. Uh, So they're much more similar than they are different things. Now, you can certainly have a game that doesn't teach anything, uh, and you can certainly have instruction that isn't any fun. And we've seen a lot of experiences where uh, people have tried to put the two together, uh, and instead of keeping the fun and the impact, they've Mm. lost both. Right, right. <laughs> Neither, you know. So one has to really know kind of what you're doing and be thoughtful about it. But um, if I can mention CCAF uh, as a fundamental concept, uh, I think it might help. Uh, in in trying very hard to help people who haven't had the benefit of a graduate degree in in psychology and and uh, instruction and learning, which is most of the people that are today creating learning experiences. I've tried to find the basic concepts that people really, really need to get. 
what are the fundamentals? Uh, and to me, a basic concept is that there are four components to an effective learning experience, almost always. Uh, and that is uh, context. So in what situation are you needing to perform? So games always set up a context, you know, whether there's right. been a murder on a street or whether there's an alien uh, invasion or <laughs> whatever it might be. Context is always there in spades for, for a good game, even if it's tic-tac-toe, which presents its context of, of those nine cells and so on. You know, you see the situation you're in. And yet, in a lot of instruction, people just start out by saying, okay, you need to learn these principles. And they just start out teaching you principles. Mm -hmm. And learners think, why am I learning these principles? You know, do I ever need these? What will they benefit me? How... How can I use them? I don't know what this is. So games teach us that context is really important, and we know that in instruction. We just forget it a lot. So context is a fundamental starting point, I think. And then a challenge comes along. Now, most instructional designers think, oh, now I have to present the information I'm teaching. And to me, that's the wrong sequence of things. The challenge should come up first because now I have an uh, expanded view building on the context of what I'm going to face. What do I have to do? Now, I may have no idea how to meet that challenge. That's fine. But if those are the challenges that I am being taught to meet. I want to see what those challenges are as early as possible so I can start using my whole brain building up my expertise to take on exactly those kinds of challenges. So challenges wake you up, they focus you, and they may very well make you uh, realize you need help. Mm. <laughs> you know. Now, I should say on the side, if you don't need help and you can meet those challenges, then you don't need to spend more time being taught because right. you already know how to do that, you know? And so since time is not refundable, if you don't need this instruction, you should exit, you know, go use your time beneficially somewhere else. So well, that's great. And then having the challenge up front makes that clear to you. So it does. Yeah. Yeah. So if, if you already know this stuff and you can demonstrate your ability, everybody wins and you go, you go on the job and, and do your value creating stuff. <laughs> so, so anyway, so, uh, Again, there's no problem of seeing these two components in, in games. Uh, we just uh, also need to see them in instruction. So the same thing. Then activity. So CC, context, challenge. A is activity. Now I need to do something. And uh, a multiple choice question is not what most of us do in real life uh, during during the day, right? <laughs> so, so those are not really good learning structures, you know. So, so what we need to do is, as openly as possible, give people actions or gestures they can use to tell us what they would do in the face of this challenge. And if they can't do it, then they should ask. If they don't know they can't do it and try and fail, then we know what instruction we need to give them because we've seen how they fail. So the activity is really critical. And, and just asking somebody to recognize a correct answer is, is generally a very, very poor way of going about it. 
In fact, there's been so many uh, courses that I've been asked to look at where uh, I know nothing about the content, but I I can I can meet the challenges because they're presented to me as multiple choice questions, and you know you can do well enough on many multiple choice questions uh, to get enough correct answers to make mm-hmm. it look like you really know what you're doing. Uh, when in fact, at the end of this, I think, well, I got a certificate or congratulations, and I know I don't know really anything about this. <laughs> right. So, so it's the activity that finally the feedback uh, to me. The feedback that makes the most difference is not somebody telling me, uh, Michael, that was good and you're right, or Michael, my goodness, wrong. Uh, it's the feedback that shows me the consequences of what I did. You know, So if I did things well, I want to see the happy outcomes. If I didn't do things well, I want to see the consequences of not doing things well because it's going to help motivate me to learn what I need to and avoid those consequences. So games and good instruction to me really are built on the same fundamental components. That same CCAF structure really is uh, is going to be in both of them. It sounds that's like. right. That's right. Now there's more to it than that. I want to say, but <laughs> but if you know if you're starting out uh, in this uh, field, or even if you've been working at it for some time, and and feel like people aren't energized, they're not engaged enough, you feel like maybe your stuff is not what you would want to use to learn that content. Yeah. Uh, think about CCAF. It'll probably help. No, that's that's great because uh, you know we put on a lot of events ourselves and do different types of, of learning that we create. And as soon as you started saying, you know, CCAF and going through the model, I was like, yeah, I know that stuff. But then I was like, but is our stuff doing that? You know, and so it, it makes you mentally go through it. And, and, and like you said, decide, are we actually delivering something we would want to be participating in and, and, uh, and, and having that CCAF structure in mind, I think helps, helps to get you there uh, efficiently. Um, so that's great. Now, that, that, sort of tugs at uh, a question or an area that I, I feel like I, I would be remiss in, in not trying to cover before we uh, wrap up our conversation today. And that's just, you know, around the design uh, and development of, of learning in general. And, you know, one of the things that you're known for, in addition to your, your e-learning guide, is, uh, is the concept of um, successive approximation um, when, you're, when you're developing learning experiences. So you're trying to get to CCAF and, you know, make sure that, uh, that you're doing it well. Um, and, and, you've, and you've stood that in contrast to the traditional ADDI model, the analysis, design, development, implementation, evaluation that, you know, every, every good instructional designer has been, you know, well-versed in, uh, I think, as part of their education. Can, can you talk a little bit about um, successive approximation and maybe, maybe say what it is first for, for listeners who may not be fully familiar um, with that and, and, and why that's a, a better approach than the traditional ADDI approach to designing and developing learning? Sure, I appreciate the opportunity to do that because I, I think it's a very helpful uh, methodology. I used to teach Addy uh, at the university and uh, schooled my graduate students on it uh, as well and applied it in teams that uh, that I ran. Um, it's logical. It makes a lot of sense. It's hard to argue with, except that when I looked at the outcome uh, of using that process, I too often found that the learning experience was dreadful. Mm. It, it, 
it probably was well-sequenced content, and it was probably not only accurate, but thorough. Everything you need to know is in there, uh, which is something that Addie stresses. Uh, but when I talk with teams who use the Addy process and ask them how they would judge the final product, and I would ask them individually, not in a group. Okay, that's, that's probably <laughs> you know? important, yeah. Right. And I did do studies on this over some some years. I'd find that often nobody who was on the team thought the final product came even close to what they thought it was going to be. Mm. They they had higher expectations, higher hopes, uh, and yet they saw so man, many of those uh, hopes and aspirations compromised uh, because, well, we don't have time for that, the budget won't allow it, or somebody didn't understand it, the programmer, uh, developer, or artist, or writer, whoever it was, kind of went off on their own tangent, which isn't what I thought we had agreed to, and so forth. They're just myriad explanations, but the thing that was common so often was that people were disappointed in the output of of the process, and so I thought, there's got to be a better way that we should. So what are some of the faults with this, and why is it not happening? Well, as you could probably tell, my focus is always on the learning experience first, whereas Addie tends to be on, let's get the content all clarified first. Mm. Um, I, I, obviously, you have to have a clear picture of the skills uh, and knowledge that you're trying to impart. So, you know, I believe in writing your objectives and, and figuring out what you want. I also believe, however, that some of those things, even your ultimate goal, might properly be modified as you go. So the idea that you you're doing this all in one single pass and and nailing the content first and then nailing the the platform of delivery and nailing the media and, and so forth in one pass i think is part of the problem is that you need to look at this thing you're molding repeatedly and think is this getting me to where i want to go mm-hmm. um and so an iterative process started to uh, emerge in my mind. Um, that perhaps came from when I'd interview subject matter experts and, and they'd tell me, you know, something critical was really left out of this program. As I'm running through this, as a student would, I'm realizing we haven't explained these, these really important things. I said, wow, did you, did you tell people that? They say, well, nobody asked me. Well, who would ask you about that? Because you're the subject matter expert, you know? And so even the subject matter expert needs to have a chance to look at what we're building as soon as possible to get a confirmation that they have imparted all of the proper content. And they'll sometimes say, I put too much in here. This is taking too long. Those things are really not fundamental, but I left out a couple fundamentals. That's the experience you want to have for them and everybody else on 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 down the line you know the instructional designer would say i thought i had some really clever activities put in here but when the people who actually built them and developed them got them done and i see the program i think oh that doesn't work (laughs) <laughs> it isn't what I imagined it to be. Now, it could be the fault of who did the development, or it could be that you just can't imagine enough of this in your head before you see it in reality. 
right? So, yeah. so what we realize is that nobody can do an adequate job on this on one pass, and you need to get a glimpse of where all of this is heading as soon as you possibly can so you can put yourself in that learning experience that is eventually going to be more fully articulated. And so that's the, that's the real key to successive approximations is that the approximation says we know this product, this educational experience is never going to be perfect. It can always be improved. So we're going to go at this for as long as we can afford to, and then we're going to stop and say that's the best we can do. And that makes it very manageable, by the way, is because you can stop at any time, and you know that you've done the best you could have done in whatever time you were given. Uh, and the successive idea is that we're going to start with just a base design a base piece of this curriculum uh, as kind of a sampler, and we're going to take it through the whole process and have something that we can interact with. We can even bring in some prospective learners and ask them to look at it and see how they respond, and then they can tell us what they like about what they're seeing and what they don't like about this seeing. And we're doing this so early in the process that we have plenty of time, uh, plenty of time to do it over again. Uh, I recommend that you plan on throwing out completely at least two attempts before you build on a third one uh, and take it to fruition. Uh, and our experience with it is that this is just leading to uh, far superior uh, output products in the same or even less time than Addy or any other approach that I know of. Well, it, it makes so much sense because, I mean, learning itself is an iterative process. I mean, you have to sort of keep cycling back through and, and building, you know, and, and, and accumulating the, the knowledge and skill. It just makes sense that when you're designing and developing learning, you go through a similar process. Because, I mean, when you're designing and developing learning, that itself is a learning process. You're learning what works, basically, as you, as you go along. That's a Jeff. That's a very good insight. <laughs> I think I don't know when I realized that, but some point along the line, it dawned on me just what you're saying is that we're we're learning what we need to do and how we need to do it for this content for these learners. Right. Right. Uh, and if we think we can just look at a situation and and know the, exactly the right thing, the best thing to do, uh, we're really fooling ourselves. It's a learning process. Definitely, definitely. And I remember when I first encountered it too, uh, you know, I've been in the learning world for forever, it feels like, but, um, but I've also been an entrepreneur most of my life. And then, you know, in the entrepreneurial world, there's this whole concept of the minimum viable product, you know, that you, you get out there with something to get in front of your, 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 your customers or prospective customers and see what happens. And then, and then you iterate and, you know, and you, you don't, you don't think you're going to, you don't spend, you know, two years building the perfect product and then launch into, into the market and hope it's going to work. You know, you, no. get, you get something <laughs> out there and get a reaction and then, and then go from there. So uh, the very, very, very similar sort of approach to, to business uh, as to learning. So, Absolutely. Well, you know, I, I think I could, uh, I would love to, to continue the, the conversation um, for, boy, at least another half hour. We've been talking about a half hour, um, but, but it's probably about time to wrap up. And, and one, one question that, uh, that we ask of everybody who comes on to, to Leading Learning, because this is Leading Learning, it's a show about learning, and, and we want to know something about uh, you as a learner. Um, and, and specifically, what's one of the most powerful learning experiences that that you personally have been involved in 
as an adult and, and since finishing your formal education, and I know you, you had a lot of formal education, but, uh, but since that point, what's, what's one of the most powerful learning experiences that you've been involved in and why? Uh, I, uh, I have, uh, there's so many, <laughs> I, I'm trying to say three things at one time here and like, which one will I, I, I pick, but, uh, there, there was a retired psychologist who lived in a, a loft in uh, uh, St. Paul, one of the Twin Cities here in Minnesota. Uh, and a number of people said, uh, this guy just has such great wisdom. Uh, you should go talk to him someday. And so I did. And he was very gracious and went over and, and, and talked to him and uh, this loft was filled with thousands of books. I think I have a lot of books and I've read a lot, but I can't hold a candle to what he what he had. And uh, so he kind of interviewed me for a little bit, uh, and I didn't know where it was going to lead. Uh, but uh, he asked me if I had children, and uh, I didn't yet. I now have grandchildren, but oh. I didn't then, you know. Uh, and uh, my grandchildren, by the way, are, are very young, and that turns out to be pertinent to what I'm going to tell you. Uh, and uh, he, he was listening. He said, you've had a lot of schooling. I, you've got a lot of theories. You've read a lot. He said, I'm, I'm impressed with that. I think you're equipped to do some, some good things in our field, and I am anxious to see what you do. Uh, at that time, I was working on creating authorware as a as an authoring system, and uh, he said, um, "If you give uh, a young child uh, a couple of trucks, toy trucks, what will they do with them?" <laughs> yeah, this question, you know, just came out of the blue. What? Are you, <laughs> what? <laughs> and I, I said, well, they probably push them along the floor. And he said, they might a little bit. You can sort of hope for that. He said, what else will they do? And uh, I was trying to think, what else will they do? I, I don't, I, I, you know, they'll play with them. I don't know. And he said, no, you need better answer than that. <laughs> and he said, let me tell you what they'll do. They will try to pull them apart. Uh-huh. They will try to stack them on top of each other. They will bang them into each other to see what sounds they make. They will bang them into the wall to see what happens to them. They will do all kinds of things to them that you're not expecting because you already have a definition in your head of what a truck is Mm. and what its purpose is and what it will do. They don't have that, and they yet have that to learn, and they will learn it efficiently. So when you're thinking about adult learners, I want you to think of them as being big children. (laughs) Mm. And if you're introducing them to something new, I want you to think about these trucks. And I want you to think, can you give them an experience like that where they can take these ideas and stack them up, bang them into each other, try to use them in various different ways because that will be deep learning for them. And that's not the way teachers think anymore. You know, mm-hmm. as you get lined up in your chairs and rows in the classroom and so forth, everything gets structured. And those opportunities for deep learning are actually strained out of most learning experiences and you need to put them in there. (laughs) I love that. That's uh, well, that's a 
fantastic note to uh, to end on. I think uh, thinking of the trucks and, and thinking of CCAF. I think if, if listeners take nothing else away, if they'll you know take those two concepts and, and reflect on them and, and think <laughs> think about their own learning experiences and ask that question that you asked. You know, would you want to participate in uh, what yes. what you have designed for your learners here? So, well, that's fantastic. Well, Michael, thanks so much for for taking the time for the conversation today. Um, how how can listeners find out more about you and your work? Where where should they go to to do that? Oh, well, thanks for asking. <laughs> We'd love to have them go to our website, which is alleninteractions.com. Um, and there's many examples and demonstrations of designs, different approaches. Uh, we, we do webinars all the time. We work very closely with ATD on their uh, certificate programs. And then, obviously, a bunch of books are there. Uh, and so that's very helpful. I also want to recommend Clark Quinn's latest book. It's mm-hmm. just come out. And, uh, gosh, I can't, it's got a cute title. I can't remember what it is. But it, it's, uh, uh, it's a it's about goldfish and something I think is in the title. But anyway, he writes about myths and misunderstandings that people have about uh, learning and instruction. And he is just right on point in a very easily read book. And, and so I recommend that as a tremendous source. Well, that's a great recommendation, and we actually are going to we want to reach out to Clark to see if he will come on Leading Learning as well, because I think uh, uh, our audience would definitely love to hear what he has to say. So, well, absolutely, Dr. Michael Allen, thank you again for being a guest on Leading Learning. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Jeff, and best wishes to all our listeners out there for meaningful, memorable, motivational learning experiences. That wraps up our interview with Dr. Michael Allen. To get show notes for this episode, just go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 136. And that's where you're going to find a link to the Allen Interactions ebook download page. While you're there at the show notes, you'll also see various options for subscribing to the Leading Learning Podcast. And if you're getting value out of what you hear, we'd be truly grateful if you would subscribe. We'd also be grateful if you would take just a minute to give us a rating on iTunes. To do that, go to leadinglearning.com slash iTunes. We really appreciate your rating and reviews, and those reviews and ratings also help others interested in leading learning find this podcast. And we'd be truly grateful if you'd take a minute to visit our sponsor for this quarter, Review My LMS. Salise and I put a lot of work into producing and delivering the Leading Learning Podcast, and one of the reasons we're able to do that is because we're able to generate revenue through other sources like Review My LMS. So please visit ReviewMyLMS.com, and if you can contribute a review to help others, uh, that'd be fantastic. It'll help others find the right platform for their needs. Finally, consider telling others about the podcast. You can send out a tweet by going to leadinglearning.com slash share, or if tweeting isn't your thing, pick another social network of your preference, email somebody, tell them in person, however you want to do it, but help spread the good word. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast. Hey.